not a minion of Mordred. You're a minion of Mordred. Welcome to Cardboard and Wine, Episode 5. I'm Mamie. And I'm Josh. Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games. Today on the show, we reveal our favorite games we discovered in 2017. You know, it is March. We're a few months into 2018 now. Yeah, actually, it's almost April, really. That's true. Well, you know, I thought about it, and we started the show, I think, in February of of 2018, and I thought, well, you know, it'd be kind of fun to talk about a lot of the new games we played in 2017, but I didn't know how late into 2018 before it got too awkward to, to mention our favorite games of 2017. I think we're probably right on the cusp, but we're gonna do it anyway. We're still well in the first half of 2018. It did snow last week in North Carolina, so that means it's definitely still winter, right? That's true, it did, although it was almost 80 degrees today, so <laughs> thank goodness, I say. They say that in North Carolina, if you don't like the weather, wait a few hours, and it's been very true in the last few weeks. But I think spring is finally here. It's warm today, the flowers are blooming, everything's coated in yellow pollen. Yeah, we actually are recording. We have the windows open. I can hear some night sounds outside the window. Yeah, we're doing some traveling next week. The kids are on spring break and out of school. And I actually have a work trip planned for some various cities in the southeast. And so we decided to make it a road trip. And Mamie, you're coming with me. Yep, we're going to Atlanta and going to get to see the Braves play. This will be our third game at the new stadium. Yeah, so super excited to check out a baseball game, uh, do some traveling, and maybe we'll even do some some gaming on our road trip. Yeah, we've got some card games packed and ready. We'll talk about those. Um, we have actually gotten a lot of new games in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I placed what I'm calling our spring game order. Uh, I'm hoping that means that that will be maybe the only game order of this season. I think that's a good plan. Uh, versus for a while, I was going on the monthly game order plan, uh, but I felt like we needed to slow our roll just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. We did finally get Azul, though, which I'm so excited about. We've been waiting on that one. We played it first at the Who's Turn convention here in Durham, and I loved it. And we ordered it right away, but it's taken a while to get here. Yeah, it was out of stock uh, for the last few months, and it finally came back in stock. We ordered it. And and you were pretty excited when you walked in the door. I had it set up on the table, so you saw it first thing when you walked in the door. I may have had a little squee. You did. Yeah, <laughs> you, you let out a sound when you saw it. Uh, but yeah, we've played that one a bunch of times already, and yeah. man, that's just such a fun game. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's so visually pleasing and also like completely a brain bender. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. So we've been playing a lot of that. We also got our first 18xx game, which... We haven't played yet, but we will soon. Yeah, we got 1846, and and Mamie, I don't even know how familiar you are with 18xx games, but I imagine you will be soon. <laughs> you like Ticket to Ride. How, I do. How, I love Ticket to Ride. How different could it be? And Mini Rails. That's true. That's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be awesome. Yeah, you love stock markets. Sure. I love <laughs> stock markets. <laughs> And then, so one other thing that happened, you know, kind of going into some gaming we have, we've done this week, uh, or since the last show, I was at a friend's house the other night, and I played the Italian version of Glory to Rome, which is a card game by Carl Chudik. I believe you told me that only one person there spoke Italian. 
Yep, only uh, only the guy who owned the coffee spoke <laughs> Italian. And and for for listeners who are unfamiliar, so Glory to Rome it was a very popular card game, um, a very unique card game that that makes use out of these 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 multi use cards. And it's a really really fascinating game. The problem is um, the best I understand the story is the designer Carl Chudik uh, was in a contract with this publishing company that that then went under or at least stopped publishing games. However, the way the contract was written, the company retained the rights to the game. And so even though Glory to Rome was a very popular game, it has not been able to be reprinted and looks like it maybe won't be reprinted, which is unfortunate. So on the aftermarket, this game is very expensive for for a card game. However, I guess that's only true in the English-speaking market because my friend was able to acquire um, an Italian version of the game. So that was an interesting experience. He had some printouts that had the English translation of of the text on all of the cards. So having now played a couple other of Carl Chudok's games, being able to read what's on the cards is pretty important. I really can't imagine trying to play them in a foreign language. Yeah, you know, it was interesting, and I was very <laughs> skeptical of how it was going to go um, about... 10 minutes into the rules explanation. But I have to say, after we got done, I was like, this was pretty fun. This was this was actually pretty neat. And and it rekindled my interest in playing uh, Carl Chudik games. I played Innovation once in the past, and I had played Matainai once in the past, which is a re-implementation of sorts of Glory to Rome, kind of with a re-theme. It's not, it's not an exact copy, but, but definitely uh, similarities with the multi-use cards. And the first time I played it, I was kind of lukewarm on it, but it was explained to me at the end of an evening, we had played some heavier games, and it was, it was pretty late. And so trying to wrap my head around it late at night was not the best. But, but this, this experience got me interested in trying it again, uh, so as part of our spring game order, uh, we went on a little bit of a Chetik purchasing spree. So we picked up Innovation, uh, Matainai, and Red 7. And so the beauty of those games is they all come in these really tiny card deck boxes. So yeah. really easy to throw into the luggage. Yeah, those are perfect to take with us on the spring break road trip. I'm really looking forward to those. We also need to give a shout out to our friend Megan, who gave us One Deck Dungeon, which is another card game that's going to be easy to throw in our luggage. And I'm sure when we get back, maybe we'll do an episode and talk about all those games we play on our trip. Yep, certainly will. Mamie, shifting gears a little bit, looks like you have a glass of wine in front of you. Of course I have a glass of wine in front of me. I believe this one is a Tempranillo, actually. Yeah, so we are having some Spanish red tonight. So this is the Raymat Family Vineyards, the Piranenca Tempranillo from 2016. And Tempranillo is one of Spain's most popular red grapes. And Mamie, do you know what Tempranillo means? We were talking about other languages. (laughs) Do you know what Tempranillo Um, means in Spanish? So... The EO part makes me think it's little. That's and right. And tempera, like temperature, like maybe when it's still cold or when it's warm or something to do with that. Very good etymology, sleuthing. I'm trying. So, so Tempranillo is the diminutive term, uh, you were right on that, of early. Oh, and so, early. So Tempranillo means little early one in Spanish. Okay. Having to do with Tempranillo being a grape that tends to ripen a little earlier than some other grapes. So anyway, this is the Tempranillo. What do you think? I think it's delicious. This is really good. You picked this one up at the uh, our local wine shop this week. I did, yeah. I was looking for something a little different than our usual fare, and, and I have been enjoying it. So that's what we're drinking. 
A big thanks to everybody who's been giving us feedback on the show. As a new podcast, that's really important. It really means a lot to us. If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend. Um, help spread the word. You can also feel free to reach out to us um, in the BGG Guild. I'm in the Guild now. I even posted for the first time this week. Yeah, you had your very first ever post on Board Game Geek in I our did. Guild. It's a big moment. If you if you want to experience that with Mamie, uh, you can join our Board Game Geek guild and uh, we would love to love to talk to you we'd love to meet you virtually all right well let's jump right into our top five of 2017 all right so 2017 was a pretty big year of gaming for us um i feel like oh we played a lot of games in 2017 we did. You know, when we talked about starting the podcast, we talked about how we made a New Year's resolution to play 10 games 10 times. And we didn't quite hit that, but we played 74 unique games, which is amazing. Yeah, and we played we played 227 different times at least. I try to log games. I'm like a religious game logger. So somewhere around 227 different games. But of those... 38 were new to us at the time. So, were new to us in 2017. And these are not all games that were new to the world in 2017, but they're games that were new to us in 2017. Yeah, so that's what we were going to do. So, what I did was I pulled our list of those those 38 games that we played for the first time and, and thought we could just look over those since 2017 really was kind of a a transformative year of gaming for us. And we could just reflect back on that and and pull out some of our favorites that we discovered for the first time in 2017. And I will say this was really, really hard. We started out saying we were going to each pick our five favorites, and we ended up each picking our six favorites, and we probably could have picked 10 favorites. It was not easy to narrow it down. There were a lot of fun new games we played this year. Yeah, I definitely left off some that I really liked. Uh, but you're right. I guess false advertising, this is going to be our top six games <laughs> of new-to-us games of 2017. So, all right, well, why don't we jump right in? So, Mamie, I have not seen your list, and you have not seen my list, so I really have no idea how much overlap we have or don't have, but I will enjoy learning along with our listeners what games you enjoyed from last year. So, go for it. Why don't you go first? What's your number six? Yeah, so my number six is The Resistance Avalon. Um, Avalon is a social deduction game like Werewolf, if you're familiar with that. Except in this version, some of the players are loyal to King Arthur, and they're fighting for goodness, and some of them are minions of Mordred, and they're trying to sabotage Arthur's knights. At the beginning of each round, you form teams that are going to go on quests, but you have to be really careful, because if even one evil player decides to sabotage, the quest can fail. And so you're trying to figure out who are the minions and who are the knights, and if the minions manage to force three failures before the knights manage to have three successful quests, they win the game. And we haven't played it a whole lot, but I put it on my list because it's really a great game to play when you have a big group, and it's a nice break from your typical party games like Cards Against Humanity, which is fun, but a definitely a different kind of game. I think the art on the cards in this is pretty cool. I love that both the heroes and the villains are equal parts men and women. I'm all about gender equity in games. And I love that it has almost a, a role-playing aspect to it. You know, there's a lot of table banter and kind of, you know, I'm not a minion of Mordred, you're a minion of Mordred sort of thing. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> exactly. I think you and I are really quick to point 
the finger at each other for some reason. Yeah, we do. If we end up being on the same side, the chance of failure is pretty high because for some reason we're very distrusting of each other. <laughs> that might be an omen. Uh, but those discussions and deceptions and accusations really make this game fun. And so because it scales so well for a big group and it's fun to play, that's how it made it onto my list at number six. Yeah, good choice. We've had a lot of good times playing that game. So what was your number six? All right, so my number six was King Domino. That's a good one. And and King Domino, really, I guess it kind of squeaked into eligibility for us because uh, I received this game for Christmas as as a few games that uh, I think the kids gave me this game for, for the holidays. We did play it for the first time in 2017, and, and this is a game that we have just really been playing a bunch. And to be honest, you know, this game, my, my enjoyment and my love for this game continues to grow because our kids have really taken to it. I know we've mentioned it several times on the show, uh, but it's just so simple, it's so approachable. Um, however, I, you know, I find laying down those tiles and trying to maximize the number of crowns and, and, and how you select the tiles. I think the tile selection where you, you know, you kind of know what's coming up in the next round and you can take the really good one this round, but you're going to be the last to pick the next round really makes for some interesting and satisfying decision making for a game as light as King Domino. Um, I love that it plays in less than 15 minutes. And and we've even done that advanced two player variant where you do a seven by seven grid instead of a five by five. And that was pretty cool. Um, And, you know, I even played this with some gamer friends who, who we normally play much heavier games than, than King Domino, but I introduced it to them in between games. We were away at the beach for a couple of days of gaming, and the next day they actually asked, like, hey, you have that King Domino game? You think we could play that again? <laughs> so, um, so for all those reasons, uh, I'm going to list King Domino as my number six, which was also the 2017 Spiel des Jars winner. Oh, awesome. Well, ironically, King Domino is number five on my list. Um, oh, great. Yeah, I have a feeling that we're going to focus on it on a show before too long. It's really been one of our go-to games recently. And as Josh said, especially because the kids have been enjoying it. You know, we've played that game almost 20 times, and we've only had it for about three months. So obviously, it's a game that we both really enjoy. And so that's how it made it onto my list at number five. What was your number five? All right, my number five was Galaxy Trucker. So, Galaxy Trucker is a game that actually came out in 2007 by Vlada Shavatil. And, and the thing I think is interesting about him is the range of games that, that he has designed. If you look up lots of really popular um, and games that have withstood the test of time. So, Mamie, um, you've played Galaxy Trucker. I have I played Galaxy Trucker. Um, so, Vlada Shavatil, also the designer of Codenames. Oh, very different. Very yes. different game. And also Through the Ages, which is a, a fairly heavy but popular game, one that I'd love to try in 2018 if I get the chance. Uh, but the thing I love about Galaxy Trucker is there's no other game that I have played that is like Galaxy Trucker. It's so unique, and I love that the game is really almost split into two different games. The first half, there's this timed puzzle element where you're building your spaceship and you're trying to match up tiles to one another. It's very spatial. Um, you got to make sure you get the right number of shields and lasers and thrusters. And make sure they're all pointing in the right direction. Make sure they're all pointing in the right direction. Uh, but you're doing all that with some sense of purpose because 
all of your ships are going to take off and, and go on this mission where you're going to encounter pirates and asteroid belts and all kinds of all kinds of nasty things. And so it's just a really fascinating, really fun game. And eventually your, your ships, no matter how well you design them and put them together, are going to get blown to shreds uh, based on a dice roll. <laughs> so you put all that work into it. Uh, but it's just so fun. Like it's just such a fun game to play and uh, it makes you think in a different way. I've had a lot of fun playing it. So Galaxy Trucker was my number five new to me game for 2017. That's another good one. And and that one's not going to be on my list. So spoiler alert. All right, Mamie, what do you have for number four? So number four on my list goes to modern art. Man, I, the auction component of that game I just, I love it. So it's an art buying and selling game. You control an art museum and you're hoping to make money by buying art and selling art. The first phase you're buying and then you earn income based on the market values that shifts depending on the number of pieces that are uh, in a specific collection. But the real reason this game is on my list and why it's as high as it is, is the auction component. I've discovered I really like games with that auction component. And for this one, it's not just one type of auction. You know, players take turns revealing art and being the auctioneer, but there's actually four different types of auction. Yeah, no, I love that part of of modern art because I feel like most games that have an auction component, from game to game, there's like the unique way that the auction works in that game. But this game, there's four totally different types of auction all in the same game. Yeah, so, I mean, there is an open auction, which is, you know, kind of what you think of when you think of auction, where anybody can bid at any time. But there's also a fixed price auction, where the price is set by the auctioneers and players. Fee-pre? Fee-pre, yes. Uh, And um, players have the option, in turn order, to either pay it and, and accept that work of art or to pass. There's also the once-around auction, and that means that each player in turn, starting with the player to the auctioneer's left, makes a bid. And then the next player can either choose to surpass that bid or to pass. And then my favorite is the blind auction. So the way the blind auction works is that you conceal in your hand the amount you're willing to pay. So everybody puts their fist in the middle and then reveals at the same time, and the art goes to the highest bidder. And it's just really fun. That auction continues to change over the course of the game. I find them really exhilarating. And so that's part of what helped make modern art make it to number four on my list. All right. Well, my number four is Battle Line. And so Battle Line... (laughs) You don't like Battle Line? Battle Line is definitely not on my list. It doesn't work with my brain. You know, Battle Line, so uh, a little bit about it. It's a a Reiner Knizia game. Uh, all the way from back in 2000. So this is certainly not a new game, but it was a new to me game in 2017. And I find that more and more, I'm really becoming a fan of card games that present a deeper gaming experience just in a small deck of cards. You know, it's satisfying to be able to just uh, pull out a deck of cards and get a game going within a matter of minutes versus, you know, taking 15 minutes to set up lots of pieces. And, um, you know, I like that you can, you can, easily toted around. So Battle Line's just a deck of 70 cards, 60 regular cards and 10 of these tactic cards. And and I found this game to be a super approachable game because ultimately you're trying to make these three card formations um, and there are nine of them. So you set these nine little pawns up on the table and at each pawn you have the ability to 
to make these sets of three cards and these form what they call battle formations. But really all it is is you're kind of trying to have a, a higher poker hand of three cards than your opponent does. So um, like what you would, what would be a straight flush, uh, seven, eight, nine of the same color would be uh, the strongest type of formation and then three of a kind and then uh, straight and then a flush and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and I find that to be super approachable because most people are familiar with the strength of poker hands. And, and you know, I think the game would be interesting enough as is if that were all there there was to it. But then you throw in these tactic cards that provide some really interesting options and make things a little less automatic because they can really swing the tide of a battle in, in one of those nine piles. I like that the game easily plays in less than, than 30 minutes. And this is a game that's put out by, by GMT Games, um, which normally focuses on war-type games. And I've become a fan of their games. They really do a nice job with the production value. And, and it turns out Battleline is one of the games I played the most in 2017 with a variety of different people. I was going to say, that's amazing because a lot of times I will uh, reject it as an option when we're going to play. No, I played with a, a lot of different people, including some some non-gamers who really liked the game. So I think I think you should give it another try. Maybe. I will. I will. I understand that it's you know approachable, but I think there's something about it that's similar to games like chess, where you have to plan your battle tactics a few steps ahead of your opponents. And for some reason, that just bends my brain. Mm, yeah. Well, one of my favorites, Battle Lines. Mamie, what's your number three? So my number three is Isle of Sky. And Isle of Sky is another tile placement game. Obviously, I like tile placement games. But this one has some really unique features that helped make its way onto my list. It's set in Scotland. And the premise is that you're a chieftain fighting for control of the island. And it's pretty quick. It's a six-round game in which you're trying to expand your territory and trade and collect victory points. And one thing I really like about it is that the conditions for winning those victory points change from round to round within the game. So in one round, you may earn a lot of victory points for every sheep that you have in your territory. But in the next round, sheep are worth nothing. And so you really have to think about diversifying your territory. Another thing I really like is the way the tiles are drafted. They're not just random, um, but you actually purchase them at prices set by the other players. It's not exactly an auction, but it's it has some of that feel of, of having to make decisions about how you spend money and how you're going to price your own tiles versus other tiles so that you end up with the ones that you really want in the end. I think this game really does a great job of balancing enough complexity to keep it really interesting, but also being fairly easy to understand and play. I really like it a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Isle of Sky is a really fun game. Yeah. I agree. Good choice. Thank you. What was your number three? So my number three, we have some overlap. I also chose Modern Art. It's a great game. And uh, this was not on purpose, but I realized I have two Reiner Knizia games in a row. Uh, <laughs> we've already talked about Lost Cities on the show, so maybe we are Reiner Knizia fans. We might I be. Don't know. Uh, so this is another older game. This one originally came out in 1992. However, we have the newer Simon version, and as you said, Mamie, it's just beautifully done. Um, and, and one thing I wanted to mention to piggyback on what you were saying, you know, the cards are just so beautiful and each suit, I guess if you want to call it that, features the work of a different real artist. I've definitely seen some of them I wouldn't mind having to hang in our house. I know, absolutely. That's always part of the uh, fun of playing this game with people is you just naturally talk about the ones, the art that you like the most and which ones I would love to have a print of to put on my wall. I've actually found it influencing my gameplay a little bit. Like I want the ones that I like the art, 
even like, if they're not beneficial to me to have. <laughs> this is bad for my strategy, but it would be great in my living room. Exactly. Yeah, totally great game. Uh, fun for all, I feel like fun for all types of groups, whether yeah. brand new people or, or gamers, more seasoned gamers. Um, yeah, great game, Mamie. You did a great job explaining it, but one that I love too, Modern Art. All right, what is your number two? So my number two is Scythe. I feel like I would be remiss if we didn't put that game on our list. Um, yeah, we've played, we played quite a bit of Scythe. I actually debated making it number one. I think I probably didn't just because it's had so much hype and I tend to prefer an underdog. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, very, very popular game. I, I feel like I don't even know what to say about it. There's so much to say about it. I think we'll probably do an episode on it at some point. I think it may be one of the coolest sort of concepts and worlds that a game is set in that I've ever seen. I really love the juxtaposition of like peasant farmers and high-tech mechs and the sort of alternative reality that's created in the game. Plus, gameplay is really fun, trying to race to get to the capital, but at the same time, building up your own resources and your own engine. Um, I mean, we played that game. My friend Ian brought it over. We'd heard about it. He brought it over. He introduced us to it, and we were hooked. I think that day, Josh ordered the game and all of the expansions for it, and it's just been, it's been like when I think back on the new games we played, that's one that jumps to the front of my mind. And so that's why it made it to number two on my list. Yeah, no, that's a great choice. I mean, we definitely have enjoyed playing that game. One thing that I really like about that game too is, you know, it has a little bit of an epic feel as you get started um, and as you progress through it. However, I like how quickly the turns progress. Um, it's very incremental, um, each individual turn. So I feel like even in a four or five player game, especially if you're playing with players who have played before, you know, the turns move around the table pretty quickly and, and there's not as much, not a lot of downtime, which I, which I enjoy too. And you're right, that world is super cool. I kind of wonder though, and maybe this is not a topic for this show, but for a future show where we discuss this more in depth, but I wonder how interested in the game I would be or we would be if the artwork was not so evocative. If it was a different theme? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I think it definitely influences how much I like this game and the fact it made it as high on the list as it did. Yeah, this was definitely one I considered. This did not make my list, but but you're absolutely right. It's a game that we certainly played a lot and was a big deal to us in 2017, for sure. Yeah, so what did make your list at number two? All right, so my number two was, I feel like... These are all really old games. I think 2017, <laughs> I'm an old soul. Really, it's you the know. throwback. Well, and you, you know, like retro. You know, and when you think about our gaming history, we talked about this a little bit um, in our episode zero, but there were kind of these lost years in the middle. So we were really into gaming and I was keeping up with games sort of in the mid 2000s. And then it was, you know, finishing up graduate school and, and starting a family. And there, were, there was about a five five or six year period where we were just kind of out of the gaming loop and then we came back in and all these great games came out in between and so i have a friend who calls that the media void the years when you have tiny kids and you have no idea what's on tv what music is popular what movies are in the theater and i think for us what games are coming out and what games are interesting it's that media void stretch of time. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think part of what I have done or what I did in 2017, uh, part of that was just filling out my collection with these games that I feel like I missed when I was out of gaming. And so so my number two is one of those games and, and that is Castles of Burgundy. 
I love Euro games for sure. I love trading cubes in for other cubes and and laying tiles, laying hexagonal tiles <laughs> down. There's just something all the hexagons. Uh, no, there's something very satisfying, and I love it. And you know, I cut my teeth on Puerto Rico and Calis. I got Agricola when it first came out. So Castles of Burgundy, I think, is a natural fit for me. It came out in 2011, and it's by designer Stefan Feld. And, and the more I learn about him, he's kind of known for these games that are sometimes known infamously as point salad games. I love a point salad game. I, I, I am surprised Castles of Burgundy didn't make my list. It was hard. It was a hard call, but I, it was a good one. Yeah. And, you know, there's something about this game. So I, I like Agricola quite a bit, Mamie. I know it is not one of your favorite it is games. Not. It um, is the opposite of point salad. It's a it's a point point desert bowl, a point bowl of nails. It is. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right, and and that's exactly point dust bowl. No, that is true, and and whereas in Agricola, could be a super fun game, but you are really struggling and scrapping and scraping for every point at it every. It makes bit you of feel progress. like a peasant in the Middle Ages, which is just not enjoyable for me. But could be the point. But being in the castle in the Middle Ages, <laughs> that's true. I enjoy feast and famine. But yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. So whereas Agricola, you feel like this points are so scarce and so hard to come by. In Castles of Burgundy, the points are just flowing down like wine from the sky, and and you know it's a it's a dice drafting game. So you are rolling dice, and the actions that you can select are dependent on the dice rolls. However, there are a lot of ways to mitigate the dice rolls, and and the thing that's kind of enjoyable about it is well i can't do i didn't roll a five so i can't do that action but there's three other things i could do and those are all pretty good too um so you know there's something about castles of burgundy that just wants you to have a good time and i find it almost a very relaxing experience whereas agricola is a very stressful experience i actually really enjoy that that stress and that tension but I just feel very relaxed and calm when I'm playing Castles of Burgundy. And and also, I very much enjoy that it's a great two-player game, and, and we have enjoyed playing that, just the two of us. Yeah, that's a really great pick. Now you're making me rethink my choices, because Castles of Burgundy is awesome. And actually, it makes me want to play Castles of Burgundy, so we might have to break that one out in the next week or two. We can probably fit one big box in our suitcase when we're traveling. That's true. We just have to have a big table to play it on. That's true. All right, Mamie. The moment we've all waited for. What is your number one new-to-you game in 2017? So, my number one game is actually a little surprising because it's actually a pretty simple little game. My number one game is Dixit. And it made it to the top of my list because there are so many things that I like about it, and it's such a great game for so many different groups of people. Plus, it may be one of the most well-illustrated games I've ever seen. I mean, we've talked about... The illustrations in Scythe, which are awesome. The artwork in Modern Art is great. But there's something about the cards in Dixit that are just so enchanting. In Dixit, you're choosing a card from your hand if you're the active player, and you're describing it to the other players without showing it. Um, And you can use a word or a phrase or song lyrics, anything that you think reflects that card. And then the other players all select cards that they think exemplify that. And you're trying to decide when you lay them all out by the scoreboard, which one is the original uh, active player's cards. And you earn points if people guess your card. Um, And if you're the active player, the tricky part is you earn points as long as you get some votes, but not if you get all the votes. So when you're giving that clue about the card, you have to really think about 
balancing giving enough information without giving so much that you get all the votes. Because if you get all the votes, you get no points and every other player gets two points. So it's not great. I love the way that that's kind of brain bending, trying to think about giving the right clue. Um, But even more than that, I think the images on the card are what really make this game. I mean, they're complex. They're beautiful. Sometimes they're creepy. Some of them even have gold foil. You know, I love gold foil. I didn't know that, but now I do. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes. For your birthday, Um, you're getting nothing but gold foil. (laughs) And a puppy, right? If someone could let me know where I can purchase gold foil, that'd be great. (laughs) And a puppy. A puppy wrapped in gold foil. (laughs) That's my dream. But yeah, the cards. And then the fact that this game is so approachable. Like, we've played it with a variety of different audiences. We're going to play it with the kids. I keep telling them. They keep asking me about it. I definitely think they can handle it. It's just, it's to me, it's just such a pretty game, and it's so fun and easy. And so it's really because of that initial simplicity and yet sort of the universal appeal and the fact that the cards are freaking beautiful. I mean, that's how it made it to number one on my list. Yeah, I will respect that choice. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a very simple game to be number one. No, no, I, I totally agree that we have certainly played it with a variety of people. And I know of at least uh, one or two who are not gamers who went out and purchased Dixit after we introduced them to it, um, for sure. I think my big issue with Dixit is a similar issue I have with games like Apples to Apples or Cards Against Humanity. Oh, you this, don't like the subjective nature I, of I it. don't like subjective nature where my victory is dependent upon the whims and random decisions of other people. But that's an issue that I have to deal with. <laughs> that's your own issue. One thing I didn't mention about this game that I, I meant to mention is that there are a ton of expansion decks. I think there's like eight or nine or ten. So there's all kinds of new beautiful cards. I think each new deck is a different artist that designs the cards. And so you can, you know, constantly update it, but that probably doesn't really impact the subjective nature of it. Yeah, and and I guess the good folks who published Dixit were well aware of the cash they might make in the future because they left empty slots in the original game box for expansion decks. It's wise marketing. <laughs> that makes me frustrated, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, my number one could not be more different than than your number one, Um, but I kind of cheated on my number one. I'm going to go ahead and and just let you know that. So when I think back on 2017 and my gaming specifically, the single biggest influence on my gaming taste has been being introduced to splatter games. And so for my number one new games to me in 2017, I am broadly listing splatter games. See, that's not fair. Part of why I didn't list any of the Splatter games is that I couldn't pick one. Maybe it's our show. You can do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> you are in charge here. So so probably like a lot of people in the last couple of years, my first introduction to Splatter games was Food Chain Magnate. And a friend brought it over last year one night, and I knew really nothing about it except I was surprised that a game about running a fast food restaurant had a 4.2 difficulty rating out of 5 on BGG. I thought, well, how hard could it be? It's... You, know, you look at the box and it looks like, oh, that's a fun, light little game. Um, it is not, but, but it is fun. It is fun. And, you know, we played through it and and something happened that I don't think had ever happened to me since I started board gaming. We played that first game of Food Chain. And one thing, Mamie, I don't know if you had this experience, but as we were playing it, it took a little bit to explain the rules, but there was something about the rules. While the gameplay itself was complex, I did not find the understanding the rules to be that complex at all. And in fact, it made a lot of sense based on the theme. And, and a lot of the rules were what 
intuitively you thought the rules should be. I think that's true of most of the Splatter games. It's one of the things I like about them is that the rules fit the theme and it all kind of seems to make sense. Yeah, and so so a thing that happened to me was I realized I woke up the next morning and I was thinking about food chain magnet. <laughs> and you know, I went to went to lunch that day and I was I went to lunch with a friend who was playing game with us and we were talking about food chain magnate. And we met up with a friend at the coffee shop who also had been part of the game. We were talking about food chain magnate and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I don't think that had happened to me to that extent for any other game I had ever played. There was something about that game that engaged my brain so much to think about, oh, what would a good strategy be? What would be a good way to to operate within that game? And so, you know, I just felt like I had to play it again. And, and that experience led me to pick up some other splatter games. So we picked up The Great Zimbabwe, and we picked up Indonesia, and there's all such different games, but they all do that same thing to my brain. And I love how they all provide this fairly simple set of rules and this rules framework for players to interact and just provides this space for players to just play the game and compete and cooperate and frustrate each other. <laughs> and it's such a unique and satisfying experience that honestly, these splatter games have ruined some other games for me. And, and you know, if I had to choose from those three and pick a number one, I guess I'd say Indonesia is my favorite at the moment. But honestly, I would play any of these games at any time. And, and the Splatter games have definitely, were definitely the biggest deal to me in 2017. Okay, can I go rogue and make Food Chain my number zero? <laughs> Is zero good? <laughs> Zero's good, yeah. It's like in front of one. Yeah, and actually, you know, we probably will be playing a lot more Food Chain because uh, we, are, we had a friend who has a copy of Food Chain, but it also has been out of stock and finally is coming back into stock. And I pre-ordered it last summer and i think it's going to arrive this week actually so all right mamie that's our top six games new to us in 2017 those are some pretty good games a lot of really good games and there are a lot of other games that didn't even make the list yeah you know i have one one honorable mention that i was hoping you were going to pick this game but you know this is another game that that's really fun that we played a lot and that's terraforming mars I like Terraforming Mars. I think the only reason it didn't make my list is that I don't like space-themed games. <laughs> well, that's unfair. I think it's more, I know. it's more of a biology game than a, than a space game. But yeah, no, Terraforming Mars, also a game we've had a lot of fun with. Uh, just didn't quite make my list because I feel like it can have the tendency to drag a little bit at the end. But I mean, that being said, a really fun game. Uh, I'll, I'll say that was my number seven game for 2017. All right, Mamie, that does it. Thanks for listening to Cardboard and Wine. For show notes, links, and other fun info about the games we discussed on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com. If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, you can send us a tweet at Board and Wine. You can email us at cardboardandwine at gmail.com or jump into our guild on Board Game Geek. And say hi. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Since we're a brand new podcast, it'll help new listeners find the show. Until next time, cheers and happy gaming. gaming.